Welcome to the second podcast in our First Peter sermon series, Through the Fire. I'm Dan Rambeck, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church, located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Our service is live streamed from the Steeple Center every Sunday at 10 a.m. on both YouTube and Facebook. John Gerster will be continuing our series with a sermon called Strangers in the World. All right, welcome to City on a Hill Church on this glorious Sunday. I'm glad you could join us today. It's, uh, it's pretty warm outside. It's pretty cold in here. If you haven't noticed already, it's a perfect environment for like a hurricane or a cyclone. Everything going on. Um, that being said, again, I'm excited for today. I'm excited we get to study First Peter and kind of put it all together from what we talked about last week. To this week. And uh, this week we're going to talk about 1 Peter. We're going to talk about 1 Peter in the first chapter, verses 1 through 9. But before we do that, I want us to recap what we talked about last week. So last Sunday, we talked about uh, the main theme of 1 Peter, and that's through the fire. Uh, this is the main theme, and it, comes, it kind of helps us to understand what 1 Peter is all about. And, that's, and that idea is that we're being refined like gold. And being refined like gold means we're going to go through trials and and suffer like Jesus as his elect and as his children. But in doing so, it gives honor, praise, and glory to God. Again, when I hear that, when I think about that, it sounds harsh. It sounds unrealistic. But again, it's it's part of our calling as as Christians that, again, we go through trials and you suffer like Jesus as his children. But again, it gives honor, praise, and glory to God. We also talked about the sub-themes of 1 Peter which are the face of persecution and faithfulness, a genuine Christian identity, and future liberation and vindication. Now we see the face of persecution and faithfulness in 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17, which says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now as Christ Christ suffered, he was reviled, he was slandered, and we too, we too are going to suffer. We do suffer, though. We are blessed. When someone asks us why we believe what we believe, we are to be prepared to make a defense for Christ with gentleness and with respect. We also see a genuine Christian identity all over 1 Peter. We also see it in 1 Peter 1, 13-17. Now, again, we talked about last week. I have have some passages here I cut off, but I I want to encourage you to look up those passages and to, and to study those. The first one again is 1 Peter 1, 13-17. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 1-3. to 
So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 21. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. 1 Peter 3, 1 to 9. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. 1 Peter 4, 1-2 and 7-11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Lastly, we see in 1 Peter 5, 1-11. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, much like an insignia, a marking, we have an identity as Christians that is just really authentic and specific and genuine to just Christians because of Christ's calling for us. Our identity is setting our hope fully in the grace that be brought to us of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, our identity, our identity is putting away resentment. It's putting away dishonesty, double standards, jealousy, and smearing of others' character. Our identity is also in caring for others and sympathizing for others and being humble, having humility. Lastly, our identity is being ready to suffer for Christ because Christ suffered first for us. Now, the last sub-theme we talked about last week was future liberation and vindication. We see the strongest, again, 1 Peter 3 and 4, as it just, it's all over the place in these two chapters, but specifically in 1 Peter 3.18, 4.1-2, and 4.12-14. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In 1 Peter 4.1-2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And lastly, 4, 12 to 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Like I said last week, we are liberated and we are vindicated in our suffering because Jesus suffered for us first. Christ died on the cross for us. I pray that as we wake up every morning, we think about that, that Christ, he died for us. We're going to come across trials and tribulations that we're going to feel like are never going to end. And a lot of these times, these trials and tribulations, these things we go through, they're awkward, they're hard, they're strains. And sometimes they actually cost us our own blood, our own sweat, and our own tears. But we get to rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Again, that's tough to hear about. It's tough to think about. I know all the things that I go through, and yet I know that when it's all said and done, that God, God's glorified. Now that we dove into the context of 1 Peter, let's read the scripture that we're going to be delving into today. 1 Peter 1, 1-9. 
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's, it's very fitting that my uh, uh, father and mother-in-law are here, my sister-in-law and my wife, uh, because this story, I'm sure they've heard it a million times. Uh, when Renee and I got married a little over eight years ago, we went to Santa Cruz in Bolivia after our honeymoon in Miami. I say we went. Uh, it was more like I was dragged to Santa Cruz. Uh, for those who don't know where Bolivia is in South America, a little hop, skip, a jump from Miami all the way down. And we did stop in Panama on the way. Beautiful country. But again, it's, it's not exactly close. It's very far away from the United States. I do want to preface that, uh, and all in all, the story that Renee was right in front of everybody. I was wrong. Um, I learned a lot from this trip. But continuing, um, Renee had been planning us to go to this orphanage for about uh, a, long, a long time. She wanted to go to Bolivia to help out an orphanage. Uh, for one, because she just wanted to help some kids and to help a family out, but also because she didn't get to go abroad in college uh, to use her Spanish degree. Um, now, for those who don't know me, who do know me well, I don't know Spanish. I know Spanish a little bit. I know a couple of phrases. That's, that's really the extent of my, my uh, Spanish is a couple of basic phrases. Now, R Renee had an initial stay in Bolivia for about three weeks, and I had her talk down to about two. Um, if you haven't been to Bolivia or South America, in June, it's the opposite season up here. So in June up here, it's 90 degrees, it's hot, it's humid. Down there, it's cold and rainy. We didn't know that, all right? It's cold, it's rainy. I didn't know the language, I didn't know the culture. I went wherever I was told, I ate wherever I was, whatever was cooked. I helped wherever I was told to help. Again, technically because it's June down there in Bolivia, people die. People die when it's cold down there because the way the buildings are structured. There's not insulation. When it's rainy, when it's cold, People lose their lives in Bolivia. It's a tough place. But it felt like I didn't have a lot of control of my surroundings for those two weeks. And as my wife can attest, I struggled mightily. It was tough. I felt like I was kind of a stranger that was forced to live in someone's house for two weeks. You know? Um, but again, I struggled. It was hard. It was not easy. I didn't make the most of it. But I think, I look back on that trip, and, and it's easy to say that hindsight's always 20-20. And I see now that even when I struggled and I was challenged, we were serving those families and the kids in that orphanage. And all in all, that serves God. That gives God glory. Now, here's some of the kids we got to work with there in Bolivia. Some of the greatest kids you're ever going to meet. I mean, they're, they're tough, hearty kids, but they're loving, so caring down there. They're amazing kids. 
Now, I hope, I just want to preface this as well, that we weren't going down there to go down as white saviors or anything, to do our part for two weeks and then leave. We went down there to be relational, to help families, to love on them. And they loved on us probably more than we loved on them. It was great. Uh, and they taught me a ton down there. They really did. If it's possible, I'd love to go down there to check them again and see how they're doing, see how they grew up. But it's really, this is all to say that I was a stranger in their world. I didn't know their world. Everything was new to me. And that's what I want us to think about today, all right? This word peripodemos, which is Greek for strangers in the world. Much of First Peter that we're going to talk about is this idea of peripodemos, or being strangers in this world. From the way our identity is in Christ, to the way it plays out, to giving glory to God, we're persecuted and we suffer. I want us to hang on to this phrase as we continue to study First Peter 1, 1 to 9. So let's break down First Peter 1, 1 to 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, this is a classic epistle introduction. When you write a letter, you might use a pretty similar format. You're going to see the author's introduction. If you wrote a letter, it would be you, Right? and who the author is addressing or writing it to. Peter establishes his authority right off the bat in stating that he's an apostle of Christ. When others are going to read his letter to the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, they can trust his authorship because he was with Jesus Christ. Now recall last week that Peter is addressing those five churches. So in doing so, he's addressing a Jewish and a Gentile Christian audience, both audiences. Jewish Christians would have been particularly keen on the knowledge of the diaspora or the dispersing of their people as Peter addresses the dispersion in the very first verse. The idea of being exiles or peripodemos, strangers of the world, is really, it's not new to Jewish Christians. Their forefathers were exiled to Babylon in 598 and 587 BC when Israel and Judah fell to the Babylonians and were exiled from their homeland. Strangers in Babylon, right? So Peter also brings up a pretty big idea in verse 2. According to the knowledge of God, the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. This foreknowledge or prognosis in Greek is that God chose his elect, his children. We only see this now in one other time in Acts 2.23 that says, This Jesus, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So this informs us that God had a plan all along. A foreknowledge of his elect with a definite plan, like the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I really like the way that Karen H. Jobes puts it in the Baker Exegetical Commentary in the New Testament on 1 Peter. Regardless of whether one accepts the idea of individual election before creation, the essential point is that Christians are in the church, not merely by their own decision, but by the initiative of God who has called them. Peter here instructs his readers that God's divine initiative has operated in their lives even before they were aware of it. It is the purposeful plan of God, larger than an individual's life, that forms the ultimate foundation for the hope and encouragement that Peter is about to offer. Now just let that sink in for a little bit. You were chosen with God's foreknowledge. 
his foreknowledge, not by anything that you could have possibly done, but rather by the grace and the purposeful plan of God. And I found that to be amazing. Just truly amazing. And as if it wasn't mind-blowing enough, Peter establishes the agent of this foreknowledge, God, with the Trinity in 1 Peter 1-2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for his sprinkling with his blood, the Father, God, had chosen his elect, his people, this audience, with his grace, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The Holy Spirit sanctified or freed from sin, purified them in the sanctification of the Spirit. And Jesus paid the penalty of our sins when he died on the cross for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. Now that doesn't blow your mind. I don't know what will, because it blew my mind. Peter here is setting up a theological pillar, a foundation, if you will, before his encouragement in verse 3. He's setting up the authority of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the readers of this epistle. And once Peter has established his authority as the apostle of Jesus Christ, the audience he's addressing and establishing who the real authority of the faith is and the sanctification is, Peter continues on to his encouragement of the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia the exiles of the dispersion, or strangers in this world. Let's read 1 Peter 1, 3-9. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice that now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not now seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you, be, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, you might have noticed this, because I, I noticed this when I was reading about this a couple times, studying this passage. Verses 3 through 9, it feels like one big, long, run-on sentence. And you're probably right. It looks like one big, long, run-on sentence. But the fact that it looks like that and feels like that is kind of, kind of makes it poetic in a way. All right? There's sort of a, a blessing in disguise in that it appears to have kind of a linear pattern as well. This line of thinking, this idea of salvation when you read these verses. And that's the big idea that Peter lands on here in verses 3 through 9. Now let's look at this linear progression. God's great mercy in verse 3b leads us to a born again and a living hope, verse 3. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 3d, to an immaculate inheritance, verse 4, that is kept in heaven while we're here on earth, verse 4d. This inheritance, verse 4, is being guarded by God's power because of our faith, in verse 5. For salvation, salvation ready to be revealed when Jesus returns or when we get to see him in heaven. Now, this section is a doxology. Doxology literally means a praise to God. It's a gorgeous eruption of praise, a pure gospel. And I mean, when you read this, I don't know, I can't help but see this as a doxology, a literal liturgy of praise to God, because it's a story of our faith as Christians. And we talked about this last week about suffering and the comparison 
of how the immense amount of pressure, stress, and change gold, gold goes through in the refining process. We also talked about how we as believers will continually go through that refining process like gold as believers and how that God, how that gives honor, glory, and praise to God. Verses 6 to 9 really delve into this slide. In this rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genius of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, where else have we seen this idea of being tested by various trials, testing the genuineness of our faith, but not having seen Christ, yet still rejoice with joy throughout these trials? It's in Job. Now, Job 23, 8 to 14 says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the ways that I take when he has tried me. I shall come out as gold. My foot has felt fast to his steps. I have kept his way, I have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than the portion of my food. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Now, boy, oh boy. This is a perfect example of suffering and going through trial after trial after trial, but ultimately it gives honor and glory and praise to God in the end. Job lost absolutely everything. He lost his kids, he lost his house, he lost his land, his livestock, his servants, and he just about lost his health, all right? He was hanging on by a literal thread. Even his friends were like, dude, just give up. You've done something to God. You've, you've done something to God. You clearly did something wrong. His wife his wife told him to literally curse God and to die, to commit suicide in Job 2, 9c. Job questioned God. He struggled. But in the end, he gave glory to God, even before God restored him. Job 42, 1-6 says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Another example, Paul, who never saw Jesus Christ, suffered as an apostle as well. In 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 28, it says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes Less one. That means just about on the, on the brink of death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. And toil and hardship. Though many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. If anyone has reason to complain about the trials and tribulations he just went through, it's Paul. The dude was shipwrecked. 
beaten, danger at just about every turn that he makes by just about everybody he knows in the cold and the heat and, and without food and sleepless nights. Paul literally went through it all. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan harassed me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul highlights a thorn in his flesh, and no one really knows what it is. And for all intents and purposes, we don't really have to know for this narrative. But we do know is that Paul gives glory to God. In verses 9b and 10, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Edmund Clowney says in the message of 1 Peter, Peter has declared that God keeps us for glory by faith. Our faith then must continue to the end of our lifelong pilgrimage. If our faith is to endure, it must be purified and stress-tested. Like gold, it must pass through the furnace. In verse 7, trials should not surprise us or cause us to doubt God's faithfulness. Rather, we should actually be glad for them. God sends trials to strengthen our trust in him so that our faith will not fall. Our trials keep us trusting. They burn away self-confidence and drives us to our Savior. The fires of affliction and persecution or persecution will not reduce our faith to ashes. Fire does not destroy gold. It only removes combustible impurities, yet even gold will at last vanish with the whole of this created order. Faith is infinitely more precious and more enduring. Like a jeweler putting his most precious metal in the crucible, so God proves us in the furnace of trial and affliction. The genuineness of our faith shines from the fire to his praise. And these are the points I want us to take away from today. I'm not going to give you a, like a traditional three-point thing here, but rather a, a funnel from the top down to the things we talked about today. All right? The first one is through the fire. This is our main theme for First Peter, and it's continually hammered on from the beginning to the end. This is the idea that as we suffer and go through trials, we go through the fire and give praise and honor to God. Peripodemos, which is Greek for strangers in this world. This is the sub-theme for today because of the audience that Peter is talking to. As we read this, we too know, we know that we are strangers in this world. The world does not understand, as we are persecuted and suffer as Jesus did, that we become more like him. Foreknowledge of the elect. God had a plan for Peter, for the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, for all of his children. There's a larger plan in every believer's life, even when we don't realize it. A doxology of praise. Because of God's great mercy, we are born again to a living hope that is being kept for us. We explode worship even in trials and tribulations. 
and salvation. It's this idea of the tested genuineness of our faith that leads to salvation that results in praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. As we end today, I want to leave us with a couple of few things that you want. We are not only incorporated into Christ, we are, at the same time, inducted into his sufferings. And these are both from the New Dictionary of Theology. Suffering is a privilege for Christians, Philemon 1.29. And persecution is seen as inevitable consequences of the holy lifestyle expected of them, 2 Timothy 3-12. In Romans, Paul acknowledges the universality of suffering. The whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. Romans 8.22, but he expects it to be freed from its futility in 8.20-21. Let's pray. And while we pray, I'm going to invite the band to come up. Heavenly Father, Lord, what we talked about today, it's something that's foreign to us as Westerners, this idea of being persecuted, of suffering at times. Now, it's not to say that we don't suffer. It's not to say that we are persecuted, that we don't go through trials and tribulations, but it's different. But we know that we, these things do happen. But rather than run away or to say we can't do this, we can. But it's only because of you that we can. It's only because of your power that we can go through these trials and tribulations. It's only because of your grace, your salvation, your sanctification. Lord, you're purifying us and making us new like gold, Lord, that we are made new in your image. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're continuing our series in 1 Peter. We also have multiple podcasts to check out, including Genesis, Crossroads, Ruth, FaithWorks, and Glory. For upcoming news and events, check out our website at mycityonahill.org.